0: you are listening to hope fellowship church of jaffrey new hampshire if you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry please visit hfcnh.org in today's message josh brather explains how we can go boldly before the throne of god we will also see how the old tabernacle and all the items within point to our need for a savior We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to continue on in our series that we've been in in Hebrews, and so we'll continue to work uh, through that. Um, Jordan, if you didn't get an opportunity to listen to last week's message, do go back and listen to that. It really helps set us up well as we dive now into uh, Hebrews Nine. So get to that in just a moment, but before we uh, get into it, uh, I, I want to, you know, I like to create some sort of interaction. You know, we've been, we, we, it's easy just to sit back and, uh, you know, not participate in any way, all right? So we're going to participate just a little bit, all right? So has anyone ever taken something that wasn't theirs? Anyone ever taken something that wasn't so a few of you, some of you are just not, not being very honest um, right now. So let me try this. Uh, let, let, let me try to get everyone involved here. Has, has anyone ever done something that made you feel guilty? Right? Okay, that should be everyone, right? We've all done something that has made us feel uh, guilty. You know, when I, I, I think back, um, you know, I think children are like the best picture of this, right? They're like, hey, did you take that cupcake? And they've got like frosting all over. And they're like, no, no, right? right? I remember, I remember as, as, a, as a child, you know, mom would make like f- fresh cookies. And she's like, listen, these are for after dinner. Don't touch them. In my mind, I have to touch them. And so, you know, you'd get out of the kitchen, no one's there, and you're like eating as many as possible, you know. And, and does it really taste that good when you eat it that fast? Yes, it still does. It still does. It still does. I, I, there, is, there is one memory, though, like stuck in my mind. It was in kindergarten. And, and my teacher had the way the, the desks were arranged. This is important, okay? The way the, the, the desks were arranged is they were facing one another, so you were looking across another student. I, really bad design to do it that way. Very distracting. Um, and we had a rule in the classroom that you were not to eat food while you were in the classroom. Well, it was like right, I think it was like right around, I have candy for some reason, okay? It was like Halloween or something, right? And I had a little package of Skittles, and I had one of those desks where you could like kinda hide something underneath of it and like slowly take it and eat it. So that's what I was doing. I was, you know, get my Skittle and you know, while the teacher wasn't looking, you know, and the teachers t- up front teaching, and then my buddy saw me and he was like, What are you doing? Nothing. He goes, are You eating Skittles? <laughs> I said, No. He goes, I'm gonna tell on you. I was like, Do you want a Skittle? <laughs> He said, "Yeah." So I like slid a skittle, you know, across across the desk. He took it. I did, you know, got got through like three or four. And every time I was like, "Man, teacher's not looking. We're doing good right now." You know, what I forgot about was the teacher's aide sitting right behind me. And she comes up to me. There was a bit of a pause, and she goes, "Um, "Josh, were you uh, eating skittles during class?" It's like, how specific? How does she know? I said, no, of course not. She goes, were you sliding Skittles across the desk? No. She goes, Josh, are you sure? Are you lying to me? I said, no, I was just, I was just sharing them. I was just sharing. In my mind, I'm already starting to justify, right? I'm like, I'm sharing, though. That's what you want me to do. You want me to share, right? And this was back in the day. I'm old enough to be in a school that still spanked you for doing wrong, so I got sent to the hallway, and then a teacher who we called to this day, I don't know why we called her this, but she, we called her Mrs. Onion. <laughs> because she was the teacher that would make you cry because she was the teacher that gave you the spanking at school. And so I got a spanking at school and then of course then you have to face your parents. You know, when you, they come to pick you up and you get punished again when you get home. But the whole time, I still claim to this day, all I was doing was sharing and I got in trouble for sharing, right? Guilt does funny things to us. Our conscience, right, reveals guilt. And in these first 14 verses of, of Hebrews chapter 9, um, you know, and the title of this sermon is this, A Clean Conscience. And there's a couple of times that conscience is mentioned within these first 14 verses of Hebrews 9. But 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 a, a conscience can work very well if we are listening well to it. And we know what to do with the information it's giving us, Right? When we feel guilt, oftentimes we then have to justify. Okay, how do I get myself out of this? I'm, I acknowledge the guilt, but then it drives me to a wrong conclusion. I need to justify it. I need to get out of it in some way, right? But guilt is given to us just the same way that, that we have other fears, like fear of fire, that it's given to us to give us pause, to, to protect us and to serve as a guide to lead us to the only answer of a guilty conscience. And so when we come to these, these, this passage here and when we ever come to the word of God, the word of God comes to a troubled conscience of men and women not to demoralize, not to beat us down, but instead to arouse within us a great need that might turn us towards God. But what if God felt like He was a million miles away? What if it felt like that you couldn't come to Him fully and have access to him directly? What if He always seemed a little far off, that while you did so much to, to clean the, your guilty conscience, it never seemed like it was enough. This is the picture that we're going to jump into in Hebrews nine. The old covenant only did so much, but it would leave you feeling incomplete. There's a reason why the rituals happened over and over and over again. The sacrifices happened over and over and over again. And you had the day of atonement every single year. It's because these things had to happen because they were incomplete. But what's awesome is we're gonna get to towards the end. We're gonna get into this. There's a fulfillment of the old covenant. I want us to look just quickly, and I, I, the, I didn't give this to the, the booth, but I want to just quickly look at how chapter 8 ended. It said, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So there's a, there's a fulfillment that does away with what the old covenant has been communicating all along. It's been pointing to Christ, although in that moment they wouldn't have realized it was pointing to Christ, but Christ ultimately comes and fulfills what the old covenant could never accomplish. And so I want to read through this together. Uh, We're going to read through... verses one through 14. And I want you to just listen and think through that idea of conscience. You'll hear the word conscience come up a couple times. But as you think through the old covenant and then what the new covenant represents, what does that do for our own conscience? So follow along with me as as we read through this. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the old covenant no longer matters. And then we come here into 9, and he says, Okay, but why does it not matter? Why, what has occurred? He gets into more detail because you're dealing with a people that their entire heritage had been going through and practicing these rituals, which were part of this old covenant. And so the author begins by explaining the various regulations for the Old Testament worship. Because if God was going to meet with his people, he had to make provision to do so, right? This, so then we have the tabernacle, which is brought into reality. And we're going to have an image of that that'll be up before us as we kind of talk through this a little bit. This was that special place that God's holiness could exist on earth among his people. But you got to remember this, it wasn't how it always was, right? Before, the, the Adam and Eve, right, are walking with God in the garden. And then sin enters, and now there's this separation. So since the fall, when sin entered the world, and death through sin, God had been separated from his ultimate capstone creation, that is mankind. Man, made in God's image, could not enjoy the fellowship that once was there. And man's sin not only affected man's relationship with God, but also affected God's relationship with man. So the writer lays out for us this setting of the tabernacle and he walks through these various pieces. Now, you'll notice when at the end of verse five, he talks through all these items that are there and he ends it, he goes, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. He's basically saying, hey, here's all these items that have some really key importance, but we're not gonna spend much time talking about that. Unfortunately for us, we're going to spend some time talking about each of those items, uh, and here's, here's why. It's, it's easier for those that this was part of their heritage, this is part of their, their upbringing, this is something they understand very well. They understood what these elements were and how they played a part in their world. And so for us, it's not as easy for us to see those connections, now, I promise there's, there's a point to looking at all of these things, and it's important to see this. And I want us to continue to have that mindset with the tabernacle, with all the things that we're going we're gonna to see in this, what does that do for you? Imagine you're going through these rituals. Imagine you're seeing this on display. As the nation of Israel was moving about, they would see this tabernacle put up in place and the walls all around it and the understanding what the priests had to do and once a year, the, the day of atonement and, and, and they're making their, their, sure their sins were covered, right? The, what would it be like to see that and be a part of that every day of your life? So as we go through this, don't see it as just objects, but We're going to look a little bit at how they pointed to Christ, but the, 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 the nation of Israel wouldn't have seen this as, oh, one day Jesus is going to come. We, we have the privilege to sit now and go, man, this is how these different elements were pointing to something far greater than what the nation of Israel was experiencing in that moment in their rituals of Uh, the tabernacle. God placed this here for a reason, so it's good for us to look at, but they were shadows of things to come, Colossians 2, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so as you look at the the image that's there before you, you're going to notice this kind of outer area, right? The outer wall that was there. And in this outer area, that's where pretty much anybody could come in and you could make those sacrifices, various sacrifices for different things that would occur. And there's a wide variety of sacrifices. We're not going to take the time to go into those. But what I do want us to see is and acknowledge that there was a a point at which any one of us, uh, to a degree, could enter. Now, if you were a foreigner, you were limited on how far you could go. Someone may have to go on your behalf. And there were other restrictions that were given as well on who could actually get into this outer area. But at that point, you had to be a priest then to do anything else. You couldn't offer sacrifices for yourself. You could enter into this, and you're relying on the priest to handle everything for you. You could definitely not enter into what we're gonna talk about more, into that temple area, that, that holy place, and then the, the holy of holies, which was even more restricted, right? Which was where the, the holiness of God was, was there. So then you had this temple. So we're going to look. We had the outer wall, and then you have the temple, which was divided into two sections the holy place and the holy of holies. Now, the priest could enter into that holy place, and there were different things in there, that first section. And in this holy place, there was a lampstand, a table, and the, and the table of the showbread. And there's, there's things that he lists here, the author lists out for us as we look here. And the lampstand was always lit, had to always be lit. So the, the oil had to be continually added. The wicks had to be trimmed on a daily basis. There had to be care to make sure this thing stayed lit at all times, illuminating the room within. This this lamp would fill the sanctuary at all times. There was not a time that this would go out while it was in place. And now we see, looking back and looking at Christ, that this light was this symbol of Christ, the true light. John 8, 8 12 speaks of this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we understand Christ is the light of the world, and as this lamp was filled with oil continually, believers are filled with the Holy Spirit continually. The lamp pointed to Christ, but it wasn't Christ. But for them, there was this practice. Then we had the showbread which was prepared every sabbath uh, by the by the priests and this was similar to the manna that fell in the wilderness during this time right the bread was displayed on a table made of a acacia wood and it was overlaid with gold and the way it was displayed looked a lot like a meal prepared for the presence of god so we think of this bread it should cause our minds to quickly go to what christ even shares about himself john 6:32 jesus said Then this next piece mentioned uh, in Hebrews 9 is the altar of incense. I I, I love the fact that we even got to sing a little bit about that, but if you've ever wondered, especially if you're kind of newer and you're like, what are they talking about, all this incense stuff? Like, what is that, a bunch of hippies, like, doing a bunch of weird, you know, let me explain. Okay? Uh, this altar of incense, right? And this incense burned literally night and day, and it was representing the prayers of the priests before God. Because the prayers could only be offered to God through a mediator, and that was through, in the Old Testament, it was through the priest. The priest served in this way temporarily. But now, right now, as we bring in our our New Testament understanding of what Jesus has done, is that now our mediator is found in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There's no one else to have to do that for us. As the Old Testament priests kept the incense burning night and day, so Jesus offers the prayers of the saints night and day to the Father. Here's what's awesome about that. When we think about prayer, you know, prayer is an opportunity when we can recognize that we are not alone. In our weakness, we pray, and Christ makes our prayer suitable for God and the Father through the Holy Spirit. So both Christ and the Holy Spirit intercede for us. The Spirit intercedes, Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't. we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and then obviously Christ intercedes for us. Uh, Romans 8, 31, and then when shall these things be? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The next item that is mentioned is the Ark of the Covenant. It's called this because it contains the tablets of the covenant. Uh, that were given by God to Moses. It also contains Aaron's uh, budding staff that's there, uh, which this occurs in Numbers 17. And all of this, right, points to uh, Christ as well. Just as the, the dead rod of Aaron's, budded, uh, of Aaron's staff budded and it came to life, we have a, a great high priest who also came to life after he died. So all these elements, all these things, we can look at it and go, man, look how they were they were l- looking towards Jesus and all that he was going to accomplish. What we see as we look at these things is that everything the people would have seen and some that only a few saw, when we think of the ho- those things that were in the holy place and the holy of holies, these are only shadows of the actual substance, the very thing they were pointing to, which was Jesus Christ. Christ. So as you would have seen this tabernacle, as you would have been coming to it to offer your sacrifices and all these things, these type of connections that we're talking about, they would have had no understanding of. They understood that they went through these rituals, they went through this practice, because there was a holy God who had instructed them, this is how you worship me and he was revealing his holiness in all of that. So that's all those items that are listed out in verses one through five. I want to jump down to verses six through 10. It talks here about the the workings of the the priests and the high priests and what that would have looked like. And so the writer brings all this to our attention, right? He takes all these things and all these elements and he goes, listen, you you understand these things and and why they're in place. He goes, and then I want you to understand the activities that were going on. But this activity was limited and it actually continued to reinforce the barriers that we see already in this. And so the the writer brings all this to our attention to show us that the tabernacle pointed to a holy and glorious God whose presence had to be veiled from the people by this double curtain. He talks about these different rooms and the separation that took place there. The only exception to getting into that holy of holies was accomplished because of all the rituals that had to take place, put on the high priest to enter into the day of atonement. As this practice continued to unfold, it said that a high priest who, was, who would have literally kind of just been chosen as it got into later times, it became much more of a political choosing than a random draw, uh, but you would be once in your lifetime that you would have the possibility uh, of stepping in on the Day of Atonement. And you would begin this process of, of making sure that you and your heart were in the right place. And it wasn't by saying all these right prayers and, and you know, crying out to Jesus. No, it was, it was making sacrifices for yourself. It was making sacrifices for the people. This is where you have the deal with like the scapegoat and things like that, right? The blood is put on one and released to represent uh, the sins being taken away. And then you were presented as a high priest hoping and trying to make sure you've done everything right up to that point. And you're going to draw back that curtain and walk into the Holy of Holies knowing that if you have messed up somewhere along the way in that process that you're going to drop dead the moment you enter into that room. Talk about pressure to go before God, And not even the very presence of God, just the holiness of God. It wasn't the full presence of God. And you can imagine being on the people on the outside. You have this God who you're supposed to worship. If you don't worship him the right way, you've seen judgment happen. You've been told the stories of how judgment would happen. And you're on the outside of this wall as that high priest enters in and you're just waiting. Will our sins be taken care of this year? Will it work or will they literally be dragging a body out because we have failed in the process? All that the people would have seen and experienced was this, a God who had limited access and barriers all around him. Like it is so hard for us, especially if you've been around the church long, We have such easy access to God, we don't even think in these terms that it's a scary, dangerous thing to enter into his presence. And and yet, in Hebrews 4, where we've already gone, it says we can go boldly into the throne room of God. There's something that's happened here. Because this cries out barriers, limited access. Only those who have been chosen and are special enough can handle these things. I can't do anything on my own. There's nothing I can do. The covered temple with all its walls and veils represented to them a God who was distant. And for the common person, there was no real access to God. The tabernacle would have brought fear. Even as the greatest event, the Day of Atonement, which we just talked about, was held. The fear for the high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies. The fear for the people as they waited. Did we get everything right? The guilt of sin then. And this is why we started with thinking about our conscience and the guilt that we have. Uh, verse 7 here. You're doing all this, all the rituals, all the duties, all the barriers, all these things. The high priest's but into the second only the high priest goes and only once a year not without taking blood he offers for himself and for the and for the unintentional sins of the people. Do we we catch that? Not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. The guilt of sin was never fully removed as all the tabernacle rituals accounted for sins they were only accounting for the unintentional sins i want to help us see this in just a little bit of a, a better way david has a, a psalm psalm 51 where he shares he's it, this moment nathan the prophet has confronted him about this sin with bathsheba and he, he admits his wrongdoing, and he, and he cries out to the Lord, and we have recorded for us what he is, he is saying to the Lord. Now, I want you to just follow along with me. With this in light, all the barriers, all the restrictions, all the, the limited cleansing that's offered through the tabernacle, David's experienced that. He knows that world very well, and here's what he says to God when he's acknowledging his own sin that he has, chose to do. These weren't unintentional sins. He was very intentional about these sins. And here's what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, on my tongue will sing loud of your righteousness. O Lord, upon open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design and your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, the bulls we offered on your altar. The guilt of sin was never fully removed. And David understood, he said, Listen, the sacrifices aren't going to purify what's going on inside my heart right now. Only the mercy of a just God will. The holiness, this is the whole point of of why we're taking the time to, to really look into the tabernacle. The tabernacle is there to give us an understanding of the holiness of God. It is so great that even all the rituals of the old covenant could only do so much to restore a relationship with God, with God and man and man to God. It was limited. It was there to show us that because of the holiness of God, we don't have access because of our sin. We don't have the right to go to God on our own. We don't have access to God because of the holiness of God. Because of God's holiness and our sinfulness, there was a barrier built so that the glory of God could be present on earth, but it included a barrier. So think of it, God created man to give him glory, He made man in his image, the crowning jewel of all creation and because of sin, all of this was marred. God could not walk with man anymore. He had to separate himself from us for our protection. God was on one side of the veil and his people on the other. At best, all that could happen was a once a year encounter with God's glory but not really with God himself. Imagine that kind of relationship, right? Try to think for a, way, a practical way in which we can kind of think about it, right? Um, so I, 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 as you think about, it, if you have an argument with somebody, right, and they go into the room and slam the door, is it, it's pretty hard to restore that relationship with that door in the way. Right? Somebody at some point needs to, to open that, that door. Or for the kids in here, right? Kids, how many of you have ever wanted something, you've had to go to your parents and say, hey, can we get this? How many of you have had to ask your parents for something before? Yeah, exactly, right? Now, what what if this is how it works in your home? All right, listen, whatever you want, whatever you need from me, once a year, okay? Once a year, that's when your requests need to be made, okay? And by the way, we're going to close the door of our bedroom, we'll be in the bedroom, we're gonna close the door, and you just make your requests out there, right? Well, you know what? We'll be a little nicer than that. We'll let you come in, but we're gonna hide, right? You're not gonna really see us, but we're there. Just make your requests, quietly walk out, and close the door behind you. Okay? Doesn't work real well, right? And I, I know I'm being silly about this, but this is this is the reality to a far greater degree of what God had to do with his people because of our sin. The holiness of God has not changed. So what has? From verses one through 10, there's three key things that we need to see about the shortcomings of the old covenant. There's restricted access to God, barriers Everywhere. Everything about the tabernacle screamed barriers, limited access. The partial cleansing, the old covenant, could, couldn't answer the deep dilemma of man. The real barrier between God and man, it's not a curtain, it's my sinful heart. There was a limited pardon. It only covered unintentional sins. It left a guilty conscience. And then everything changes Hebrews 9 verse 11, but when Christ appeared, Jesus came into the picture as the holy, eternal, sinless God-man. He entered into the holiest of holies. And look at what is said there, that he's come, then then through the greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. It's not this time. He's not entering into the, the tabernacle's holy of holies. He's entering the throne room of heaven before God, not by sacrifices of any animals, but by his own life sacrifice and resurrection to come into the holiest of holies. And now offers all those who take their sin and all their own efforts in trying to be good and saying to Jesus, only you can rescue me from the guilt, from the shame, and from the punishment that my sin has caused me. Jesus offers an internal and eternal cleansing that unites us with God now and will one day be fully realized when he comes to once again restore order and establish his eternal kingdom. The death and resurrection of Jesus opens the way for us to have a clean conscience and a renewed relationship with God. Let me put it even more simply. The two lessons for us to take away today from these 14 verses God is holy. That's the reason for all the barriers in the old covenant and the tabernacle. We lack access to God because of our sin. He is a holy God, His holiness has not changed. We need to be careful as we think about the name of Jesus and what it represents. Be careful as we think of who God is. I remember in high school, I had this, somebody who I went to school with, I went to a public public school, but it was in a pretty conservative area. And so, you know, uh, religion was just kind of part of even high school life. You know, it wasn't unusual uh, to have that as part of, you know, conversations and stuff. But I had this uh, buddy of mine, he had this truck, and on uh, the passenger side was this, you know, decal he had put on there that said, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, I laughed at it then. And then I became to I came to realize, you know, that's probably not the best decision that could have been made, right? And, and here's why, right? We and we do things similar to this all the time. We downplay the holiness of God. We downplay the reality that I I have access to this God who these people for thousands of years are, are worshiping this God that they couldn't even get a full grasp on. They went through all the rituals, but they didn't know God. They hope for the best. But at the end of the day, you're left with a bit of a guilty conscience, not knowing, was it all taken care of? So God is holy. That hasn't changed. But we now, second thing, we now, through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, through our faith in him, can go boldly to God. And if we've forgotten, Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The holiness of God still exists, but our access to him has completely and radically changed. This is why, and Hebrews 8 at the end, he's able to say, and speaking of the new covenant, He makes the first one obsolete. It's been fulfilled in Christ. And now you no longer have to relate to God with all these barriers and what if and did I do? And just say it's all on Jesus. And he has given me access. He has forgiven me. But what do we do with all this? What do we do with understanding the tabernacle a little bit more? What do we do with acknowledging that, yeah, great, okay, I have, you know, this amazing access to the God of the universe. What do we do with all of this? For some of you, you may be sitting here and going, this this access we now have with God through Jesus seems way too simple. Now, the reality is, to get that access, it was not a simple task with what Christ walked through. But my point here is that some of you may be saying, this is just way too simple. That through Jesus, I now have access to God, the creator of the universe. There must be more that I need to do than confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead and then I'll be saved. You may be thinking, don't I need to do something more? Shouldn't someone have to sign off on something? shouldn't someone else speak on my behalf? Isn't there something I can do to make myself feel good about the fact that I did this so that I can say, hey, look, I'm, I'm in the club, by the way. No, <laughs> no. See, that's the difference. We, we walk through all the rituals, all the emptiness of what it would actually end up causing. What we can do is we can fall down and we can cry out to God for his mercy to be bestowed on our lives. Look at what the thief on the cross did. He said, he said this to the Lord. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Why? Well, as, he, as his own blood was running down his cross and he looks across the other side and sees the other individual on the other side of Jesus, that was real blood for real blood. Punishment, real sins that have been committed. But the blood that he saw from the corner of his eye, from the pierced and torn flesh of Jesus, was the blood that was shed for his eternal redemption. There's an old hymn written in 1772. Uh, Anyone remember that? Here, okay. Uh, There is a fountain, right? And, and, and I, I think William, William Cowper, who, who wrote this hymn, he expresses this moment well with the thief. He says, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain, Jesus, in his day, and there may I, the vile as he, wash all my sins away. We can have our sins washed away and have a restored right relationship With God through Christ. Second, for those of us who have confessed and believed in Jesus, the author at the end of verse 14 says, We have been washed clean to serve a living God. And so, what are we doing with this amazing relationship we have with God? Are we holding on to guilt? Are we holding on to the rituals? Well, if I only do all these things, then it'll make me feel better somehow. We have forgotten what Christ has done for us. Are we allowing the Lord to guide our steps in loving our spouse, in caring well for our children? Do we allow this access and relationship we have with God to impact the way we do our work throughout the week? Are we allowing him to shape and mold us into the person he created us to be? He's eliminated the barriers. Are we taking advantage of all that he is? Is your worship that much sweeter because you now see that the clean conscience you now feel has been made possible because Jesus came and did what nothing else would ever be able to do, that is to reunite God to man and man to God. I'm gonna end with one last hymn that we know well. And as we think about this, we think about our own guilt, our own shame that we may be bringing into this one, there is access to God like we've never had before through Jesus Christ. And if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, live in that freedom, live in that access we have to God. Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he, Jesus, washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us as we think even further into these things that we would not be flippant about our access to you, but be even more amazed at the reality that all the barriers that your people of old would have experienced through Jesus, we have access to you freely. What an amazing reality that is. Help us to live in that reality. Help us to love you out of that reality. And Lord, for those who are around us, would we speak a message of truth that unites them to the hope of Jesus that whatever shame and guilt they're facing, they would turn to you, they would run to you and experience the the free gift of your salvation that frees us to have access an unbelievable relationship with you. Lord, we love you. Be with us now as we finish our time worshiping you. May it all be about you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.